What's good, everybody? We back at it with the DCL podcast. We here again with Isaiah Kentman to dive into real estate. Yo, what up, yo? Uh, Isaiah Kentman, young investor, founder of Kentman Enterprises. Got a little bit for you today. Glad to be on this show. Thanks for inviting me, man. Of course, man. Always a pleasure to have someone in the field hop on and share some knowledge to the world. Investing in real estate is one of the top ways to guarantee financial freedom in today's society. The value of real estate is always increasing. When you're getting started in real estate, determine the capital you have or the capital that you can raise in order to figure out which method will work best for you. There's always different ways that you could raise capital to get things. You could always save up from like a job at a W-2 or you could get like credit funding through some other ways. You could get loans, things like that. And that'll always give you a boost to get better into real estate faster. Isaiah has already completed five wholesale real estate deals at the age of 19 years old. So walk us through wholesaling and the steps you take all the way from the beginning to closing your first deal. I've done five deals over, I say, last three years or so. I started in 2020, right before uh, COVID hit. And the first way that I really started, uh, I did it with no money. It's the best way you could ever start it. Anything that you can do with no money is just the best way you could start a business, in my opinion. How I did it from the start, I basically went to the courthouse of my town and they have these lists of people's names where you can go and pull. So they have lists such as tax delinquencies, liens, and code violations. You can pull those lists and they give you names and addresses of people. And then you can go to a website called truepeoplesearch.com. Shout out Rick and Zach Ginn for teaching me these plays. But you can go to truepeoplesearch.com. You can look these people's names up and they'll give you their phone numbers for free so you can skip trace them. So what I would do is I, you know, I go around town and I collect around two, 300 different addresses through these lists. And then I call them all up straight cold call all day for the first deal. It took me about 300 calls to get my first hot lead. You know, he hit me up. He was like, yo, it was, this was actually three months after I had texted him initially, it was a follow-up. So I do follow-ups on, you know, other people that I've you know talked to in the past. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was doing a follow-up on him, being like, yo, we're still interested. If you can still got this property, you know, we can definitely still get into it and get you some cash into your pocket. And he texted me back and was like, yo, I think I'm ready to get into this. How much are you willing to offer me? So we texted him and sent him an offer immediately. I think we got it under contract for 128,000. So you get him on the contract. And what the contract is, it's called a purchase of sale agreement. So you get him to sign this contract that basically says they're not allowed to sell this house to anybody else because it's under your, you could say jurisdiction. And so what you would do is you would go and you would advertise this property as it was like your own. And so what I did is I posted on Facebook Marketplace a few ads. I think it was just, you know, a few ads. A buyer, her name was Ashley White. Her name was Ashley White. She's a real estate investor from Indianapolis. Shout out to her for helping me get my first deal done. But the first house that I did, the first deal, the construction was pretty much done. All the repairs were pretty much done. There wasn't really much that you could do to the house. So I knew that the profit margins weren't going to be as big as I wanted them to be. So I took the 2K squeeze and I just took the 2K and ran with it, called it a day. That was my first deal. It was a good lockup. A few steps after you guys get the buyer, you guys want to get it in escrow with a closing company. After that, it'll take you about 30 days to get everything closed. If you want to give the seller a better advantage or so you can have a better advantage in the negotiation for the price, you can tell the seller that, hey, I'm going to pay these closing costs, but I'm going to take a few K extra off of this house offer, whatever. That's basically how I got my first deal. Look, 2K deal, some slight. The second deal that I got, you know, I did the same thing. 
with the the liens. This one was a tax delinquency though. Guy was a couple months late on his property taxes, hit him up and was like, yo, we can get these property taxes for you handled. We can get this mortgage off your hands, put some cash in your pocket. You know, same little spiel as the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, he was quick. You know, we got this one done, I think in less than two weeks, we got it completely, completely done. Got it in escrow in about five days. I think he wanted to, he accepted the offer. That's how long it was. Mm-hmm. I think the second one I got done, I got locked up for 78,000. And then I sold it to a buyer for 81 because that was another house that had like a lot of the renovations done to it already. So I didn't have any much profit margin. In Illinois, you're only allowed to wholesale one house a year every 12 months in a period without a real estate license. So Mm -hmm. I had done my second deal and I didn't want to get audited by the IRS because even though I'm pulling in such little money, I'm still technically doing illegal transactions through real estate with that second property. So I stopped doing that immediately and I started using softwares to pull uh, lists and stuff like that. So what I would do is I use this software. It's called Batch Leads. This is an amazing software. It's It does everything you need to do in one. So basically my main strategy of marketing from now on, instead of cold calling was SMS blasting. My target market for the next two deals, because the lady that bought my thing in Indianapolis, I, I stayed there in Indianapolis to continue to buy properties because she was still in the area. It was a lot of, it was a better local uh, opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. And in Indianapolis or Indiana, it's not illegal to, you know, do real estate more than two deals or wholesale without a real estate license. So mm-hmm. I was just able to do as many of those as I wanted to. I would get on batch leads and I would look up a lot of things like vacant houses. We would look for specific things though that made the house you know wantable especially because it was so far away in a different state we didn't really get to go look and see what it was looking like so mm-hmm. you wanted to look for things like vacant properties with like you know a lot of stuff tired landlords so mm-hmm. like a lot of land, older people that own multiple properties and I'll get into that on my last two deals because that's actually how I got my last two deals driving for dollars and then high equity lists so people that like 70 80 percent equity already into their house you know you don't even they're not even worried really about the payments anymore. They're just worried about getting their house sold in a few years. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You can get that done quick for them. So we would do that. And so I think the, the the third one that I got was a vacant property from a vacant property list. And that was quick. It was a quick squeeze, but this was another 3K. I didn't really want to try to go for more money because I knew that I was kind of experienced at a lower point right there. And I knew I could secure that rather than trying to negotiate over you know, 30 days, an extra two grand. So mm-hmm. I just took it so I could actually deploy it faster than I would even get the five grand of my next two deals. Mm-hmm. But this next two deals were the good ones. These were the ones that actually like did me justice. They actually put money in my pocket for real. So mm-hmm. there was this guy I was told about that was selling these two properties in Indianapolis by the same girl, uh, Ashley. He had owned two properties. So I had hit him up and was like, yo, I seen you got this property. Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get it off your hands. I put some cash in your pocket. He told me that he had two properties. So immediately I was interested. And he was a hot seller too. Like he was ready to move. He was trying to get mm-hmm. this stuff done. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's get this stuff moving. I don't remember what I got the first one under contract for, but I got the second one under contract for I believe like two thirty six, and then I got it off for like two forty one, and then some change. Like let it a little yeah. bit off. Both of them had a over five k return over 5k on both of them and that was all on digital software that's the best thing you can do it cost a little bit a month a little bit of money a month to do that definitely came back <sighs> it's a lot faster too dude like it, it i think it took me like two three months to even find the first deal doing the uh the cold call and stuff mm-hmm. and then with the sms blast bro it took like maybe a week for people to respond you can pull these lists from areas like by different size and then they'll automatically skip trace them for you for a certain amount of money mm-hmm. and then you can just send out yeah these mass texts to like thousands of different people and mm-hmm. how i would do is I would have different starting texts. So I would send like, I would have like 10 different rotating 
you know, texts that were like, hey, we want to buy this house. Hey, we're interested. Hey, we see you have this going on. We can do this for you. Hey, an online real estate brokers that buys rundown properties, we're willing to get your house, things like that. And there would just be 10 different little sayings that we would, you know, go through. But I stopped that not too long ago, just because I just had a lot going on. You know, we can get that into that in another episode for sure. But mm -hmm. after I graduated high school, I had got this job and I Rivian, they work you dog six days a week, 12 hour days, bro. I'm knowing. I did that for like a year, dude. It was, it was tragic, but I'm getting back into the tune now. You know, I just bought a house less than a week ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopefully going to be able to get into some more real estate stuff here soon with that. It definitely. So summing up wholesaling, you got to search for properties with uh, motivated sellers, people who are wanting to sell the house, prefer to find a property that needs repairs because you'd most likely be able to get that on a deal. Right, right. Overgrown grass is something that we even look at. Like if they've got overgrown grass, you know, they're not taking care of that property. So mm -hmm. maybe they don't care about it as much. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you can get it off them easier kind of thing. Yeah. Also, if it's vacant and they haven't filled it in a few months, then you can tell, hey, they're not getting no money from this property. So maybe they might be a little motivated if I offer this cash offer because it's either this or nothing. And that's actually what we do when we actually find these government lists that we mm -hmm. get from the courthouse and we do like the tax delinquencies and the liens and the code violations. When they have these things, they feel more obligated to sell their house to us for, you know, just straight cash in their pocket because they want to get this off their plate. They want to get this headache out the way. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's real easy to get involved with people that got a lot of government issues going on with their mm -hmm. property. Mm -hmm, because you're just helping them solve a problem and you're getting the problem solved for exactly, yourself as well. Bro. Exactly, bro. <laughs> just filling in the pieces, doing the work that, that they're not willing to do at that moment or they don't know that they can do. Honestly, bro, if you grow this, if you decided you wanted to put your head down on this for a year and grow it, you could, you could be making 10K a month easily. So what would you say you made total from wholesaling throughout your time? Total, I like to sum it up to 20K, kind of uh -huh. sounds better, but uh -huh. it's, it's, it's around 18,000, some, mm -hmm. some sense, but I definitely, I, I like to say 20,000. But that's still great because that was just an extra income on top of what you were already doing. It was you stepping out in the field, getting that experience, you know, doing those cold calls, cold calling two, 300 people. Like that's insane. Is there any like specific script that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I would just write them down in my notes on my iPhone. I would just write down simple scripts. I would watch YouTube videos. Shout out to Zach and Rick again. These guys are amazing, amazing teachers when it comes to wholesale. These guys taught me everything I know and all of their stuff is on YouTube for free. Check them out for real, for real. They gave me a great script. A lot of it was ads. A lot of it was text messages. I watched a one hour video for like scripts on like specifically SMS text blasts for mm -hmm. like, I think I watched it like three times just to make sure I had the best script that I could find. And it wasn't necessarily like word for word script. We would have like a, a hello kind of thing. And then like a, Hey, we're going to offer you this kind of money. But we would, you know, we talk in between the best thing you want to do when it comes to getting a seller is you want to get on their good side. So mm -hmm. you want to have a better conversation with them rather than just being like, Hey, we saw this property. We're going to buy it. Mm -hmm. Hey, how's your day been? You know what I'm saying? Establish you know, a relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Establish that relationship before you, you know, dive straight into the numbers. Cause then mm -hmm. I feel a little, you know, feel a little misguided or a little, little used. Yeah. I definitely think that they gave me a good script. Would you say you had a lot of success working in real estate through connections? Like how did connections help you? Like that one lady who helped you or that one guy who had two properties, how would you say connections can help you with wholesaling? A lot of people, like they have a fear because they don't think they know enough people or they, they just don't know enough to get things done. And I just met these people, like the people that I, would, I had sold these houses to, I had met them like some stranger thing stuff, the same way you would meet somebody else <laughs> on the street and sell them something, you know, it's, 
it's, it's something you're going to end up having to get over is talking to these strangers and networking, but it definitely helped. There's definitely not necessarily a mentor that I had for this besides, you know, to kind of teaching myself through YouTube videos. But in any situation when it comes to business, I definitely think that a mentor is a huge advantage to anything that you're doing because mm-hmm. they've already done it before. You don't got to reinvent the wheel. You just, you know what I'm saying? Make another one. Definitely. Learning from YouTube and learning from a mentor are two big resources and that we have in society today. I mean, I've spent hours, countless hours of just surfing the net, YouTube, finding out information, learning new things. And honestly, I've learned more from YouTube and the internet than I have from college. Dude, honestly, bro, the, the internet is such a powerful tool that a lot of people don't know how to utilize in the right way. And they just don't use it the right way that, you know, I would use it. You know, I use mm-hmm. these search engines to do a lot of business and look into a lot of things. And my homie the other day, he was, you know, he's been standing, he was standing in my crib for a while because he had just got back from Texas, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, he was just, he was chilling on Google and I don't know what he was looking at, but you know how they got those event things where they like pop up on the screen, you can click the Google and then mm-hmm. they got like a, he going to cold click into the whole thing and put in the chat GPT and tell him to summarize it for him. I'm like, dog. That was kind of fire. That was yeah. kind of fire. We'll, 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 have fire. To, we'll have to get into AI another day. Oh, but AI man. is changing Dude. the game with everything. Yo. AI can run your business for you if you use it right. Yo, before we get to that video, for sure, for sure, y'all got to get in there early, even before we talk about it, because it's mm-hmm. going to revolutionize the world. It really mm-hmm. is. It really is. AI is a new car. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, dude. Yeah. Dude, what if they made like AI drivers, but not like Bumblebee, like nobody's in a car type driver, yeah. but like iRobot kind of robots in the driver's seat kind of thing. Oh, like a robot in the driver's yeah. seat. Would you trust that? No. Never? No. Not, not never. It don't even have to be their fault. It could be someone else's fault on the road. Right, and right. Are they going to be able to adapt to that instant change? Or if someone's running a red light, can they sense that? You know what I mean? That's something else I would be uh, a little wary okay. of. Yeah. And yeah. plus, I kind of like a human mind uh, driving me. You know what I mean? <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. But humans can make errors too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They got human error. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you trust the human more than you yeah, trust the robot. The human it makes more sense. It makes sense. It <laughs> makes sense. The AI is really is is somewhere you should be these in these days. You should be revolving in that space somewhere. Yeah. It's definitely changing the game. So we'll tap into investment properties. So I know your first home, it's in your name, and I know you had to, you know, live there for a year. You still plan on making it an investment property. Yeah, so absolutely. Tell the audience how you were able to get your first home. This is gonna be like a teaser to the credit video as well, because like I gotta make credit for a 19 year old like my credit profile is gasoline i won't lie to you <laughs> i've got a good amount of accounts i've got high high credit limits i've got you know i got now a mortgage loan i got installment credit i got all kinds of things i got business credit i got all kinds of things on my credit profile when i went to go you know look at houses and stuff like that you know i again because my credit's great I got fire rates. Like right now, average rate for an average person to get a loan on a car, on anything, is around 6.5% interest. Mm-hmm. I got the loan at 4.5. That's almost pre COVID level interest. Imagine that on a $100,000 house, 3% interest versus 6% interest. That's a $3,000 difference. $3,000 difference to come out to be a decent amount on your payment each month. That, that's, that's a good 20, 30 bucks on your payment each month. That's. Mm-hmm. Oh no, you can use that for some slight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, property taxes don't come to be out too much like that whenever you know you spend. Uh, month, when you spend it for monthly, they don't come out to be, you know what I'm saying, 240 bucks. You can use that extra 30 for that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, isn't it, so like, let's say you got a 4.5% interest uh, on your loan. 
is that 4.5 for, uh, is that yearly? Like, so is that your interest per yearly or is it just one time? Yeah, that's for the entirety of the loan. Mm. So it's 4% on the entire loan. They're basically charging that. They add that to the loan. Mm-hmm. So whatever the mortgage payment is, they add that to the mortgage payment. So I just kind of pay it together like a bundle. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, so sense. I'll pay, oh yeah, I'll pay their interest and I'll, you know, get that equity up there too at the same time. With my credit as well, I qualify for two grants. So I qualify for a $10,000 grant and a $6,000 grant. So that, that gave me all the down payment assistance that I needed to basically get this house. That's crazy. All I needed to pay for was a $500 uh, appraisal fee. That's all mm. I paid for. It's a Jack and Jill style house. It's got a basement, things like that. It's unfinished basement, enclosed porch, outside privacy fence, all nice little uh, lot, got a garage. I'm renting out the top half of the Jack and Jill to a few of my buddies. They are, they'll be sharing a bathroom and they'll have two rooms of their own upstairs. So the house closes July 12th. That's when I'll be able to kind of get, you know, in there and do some things. Um, mm-hmm. And I plan to finish the basement first thing. I got a lot of capital kind of built up right now just to kind of get that done. Mm-hmm. And um, so I plan on putting, it's a, it's built like a salon right now. So <clears throat> they got like a corner with like a chair in it. And then they got like a wall that's got like the hair salon bottle holder stuff. It's kind of like a shelf built into the wall. They got a half bathroom. It's it's, it's, it's some slight, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some slight. I'm going to throw up a big wall in the basement to uh, to kind of separate myself from the laundry room as well. So mm-hmm. I could, the, the other people could use the laundry room without, you know, coming into my room at every time. Finished in the bathroom. So I'll put a shower in the, the half bath that I got in there now. And then a year from now, hopefully I can refinance or pull out a HELOC. And a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. Credit. It's sort of like a cash out refinance, but instead of getting cash, you get a line of credit. And the line of credit again, you gotta pay that back at some point. So but they give you a bigger line of credit than they do give you a cash amount sum on a cash out refinance. So okay. that's always a good way to look at it. Yeah. So that's that's what I really plan on doing with the property. Uh refinancing is definitely the biggest option that I'm going for right now. Basically, what I would do is I get a basically a lump sum amount of cash and I've already got a, a certain amount of equity into it. I would work on paying off the entire mortgage and then using the payments that I get from up in the rent because if I pay the house off completely with the mortgage, I don't got to live there no more, especially because my loan requirements is I only have to live there for a year mm-hmm. in order for me to you know be able to move out and go so do something else. Or until it's paid off or just, is it a year? Just a year. Okay. Yeah. So even if I don't pay it off in a year, I, I can mm-hmm. move out still and rent it out for whatever. You know okay. what I'm saying? So the plan is I want to I wanna get it paid off. I want to get that mortgage paid off as soon as possible. And then I want to basically, so I'm, I'm basically renting out 700 a room right now. I want to bump that up to about 2,100 total, not per room, but total for the entire place per month i want to bump that up because i'm gonna get the basement finished so So it got two rooms and then a room down in the basement or you're gonna make the basement room Mm -hmm. okay yeah so i'll make a room in the basement it'll have a living area a bedroom a finished second bathroom and then a storage closet for a deep freezer and then storage and then uh, a dryer and uh, washer unit it's a decent downstairs i think the house is 1800 square feet and the upstairs is only like seven eight hundred square feet of it so like a lot of it's yeah. in the basement so once i make that livable space dog the value of that property is just going to go up at least 20 30 percent so with the loan that you have you only have to live there for a year and then you can turn it into just a straight rental property most loan products that you can get a lot of them so specifically conventional and fha if you plan on pulling investment money out of it if you plan on using it as an investment property you have to basically sit there for a year and use it as a primary residence before you can because you're putting so less money down, not as much money down. Mm-hmm. So you have to live there for a year because there's so that they just add different requirements. If you were to put 20% down on a conventional and you decided that you wanted to make it a rental property, you wouldn't have to live there at all. You could just rent out those rooms. And another 
thing you guys want to look out for if you decide to go out with one of these loan products is you're going to get hit with something called PMI and that's called private mortgage insurance. So basically that's like another extra insurance piece for the mortgage because they're afraid that you can't pay it back. So you just have another loan that you got to kind of take care of at the same time. They add it to your mortgage. So you don't really got to worry about, oh, do I have to make two different payments or nothing like that? But if you put a down payment of less than 20% on most any loan products, you're going to have some PMI in there. Be wary of that. And yeah, by utilizing credit, which we'll discuss in our next episode, you can make a down payment as little as five to 20K and get a mortgage on a multi-bedroom home, then, you know, rent out the bedrooms. Of course, fix it up if it need be. Charge rent enough to cover the mortgage, property taxes, maintenance, utilities, and it's possible to come out with a cash flow of a few hundred dollars while the tenants are paying off your mortgage. You do have to manage the property and find tenants, but more problems come when you achieve success. So it's really just comes down to how bad do you really want it? Big misconception is people say that, you know, rental properties are passive income, which they're not really passive income because you do have that worry. You do got to take care of the house. You do got to find tenants for the house. Unless if you have a property management company doing that for you, you know what I mean? So it's not straight passive income, but you are building up uh, a guaranteed income. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I just actually had one of my prospective tenants that was supposed to live in the house. Two of them actually back Mm -hmm. out. That's why uh, I have to look for more. But two of them actually just backed out because I guess they just weren't ready or for whatever reason. So that's just, you know, that just comes with, you know, what he said. Another, there's, there's going to be challenges along this road. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to go to plan. You can make a plan, but it's never going to go the way you want it to. It's never going to go that way. I promise y'all that it never will. So mm-hmm. always be prepared for something to go wrong. Always be prepared to have, you know, a way out and exit strategy, always something in your back pocket to, you know, keep you safe, keep you stable. What I always like to think about, I'm a firm believer in uh, what they call a foundation. That's really what I'm doing for myself right now with everything I got going on. I like the fact that if I ever do fail or ever I do fall in whatever I'm doing, I could fall back on the simple things that I already have. You know, my paid off cars, I don't got to worry about making a payment. You know, I got a job. I don't got to worry about, you know, not having a job and employment if I fail in my, you know, endeavors as of right now. House payment, I got that paid off by tenants that are living there or will have it paid off by tenants that are living there. So it's just nice to have a little, you know, foundation behind yourself before you decide to go out into the world and, you know, risk all everything you got going on just to, you know, make some more money. By having that investment property that you have bought, you have taken out a mortgage on and you have tenants living there. They're slowly paying off your mortgage and putting money in your pocket at the end of every month. So you might look up with either $50 or $500 in your pocket every single month guaranteed as long as you keep this residency filled and you're doing everything right. And yeah, and you, and you guys got to realize that like nowadays, it's not like how it used to be in the 1920s and the 1930s where you could buy a house for five cents, 20 cents and sell it for a million dollars. Now you got to get into this game early if you really want to get into this. You can't wait too long. It's something that you're going to have to do it real early. Like now is <laughs> constantly rising. You do have to have some type of capital to get started, whether that be capital to pay your phone bill to make these cold calls or to make these calls, gas to ride around and look at properties. You got to pay your internet bill. So you do have to have some type of money saved up. I'm not saying you need 20, 30,000, but you do need that foundation, you know what I mean? Set up to you be able me? to do this. If you're working a job 12 hours a day, then you might not really have time for this. So you got to make sure you have the foundation and you 
you make time to get into this? You got to make time for it. And when it, and when it comes to the capital, there's multiple ways you can do it. Again, what he's, you know, what we've been saying with this foundation, man, if you get a good foundation set for yourself, a lot of the risks that people take on at a young age for doing these big business things, it kind of gets off your shoulders because you have something to always fall back on. And, you know, when you have good credit, you got everything kind of going for you, getting paid for things like that. You know, you could take on $30,000, $40,000 worth of credit card debt on a zero ARP card and to invest into something like that's something mm-hmm. you could take risk on if you have that foundation there that you feel safe to stand on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Last thing we want to get into today is fix and flips. So although neither of us have actually bought a property, fixed it up and sold it, this is something that we have been studying over the last few years. And it's something that we're definitely going to get into soon. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. Basically, the idea behind this is buying a distressed property from a motivated seller. What that means is buying a property, like he said earlier in the episode, where they don't mow the grass or you can see some damages that haven't been fixed or if the house is vacant then you can tell it's a distressed property, meaning it hasn't been taken fully care of. And that might be because they don't have the capital in order to do so. So they might be a motivated seller or someone that's wanting to sell and is willing to take a hit in order to get that money because they might need it right now. There's many situations where if the homeowner passes away and it goes to the kids and the kids don't have enough time to manage that property or don't have the knowledge to, and you come to them and offer them an offer and they'll say, hey, am I going to take this offer? Offer or am I going to figure this out by my, okay, I'm going to take the easy way out. So buying distressed properties from motivated sellers, going in there, uh, making the repairs that's needed, fixing it up, remodeling it, and then reselling it to an investor. So that's really the idea of fix and flips. And just to add on to kind of what he said, you you don't have to buy, you know, million dollar houses to make good profit off these properties. You could mm-hmm. you could buy a $50,000 house that's really bad and, you know, flip it to 100, call it a day at 50k. That's mm-hmm. that's still good profit. 50k is a good amount of money. That's an average yearly wage in America. That's good money right there. That could change somebody's life. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely wouldn't say overlook anything that's too, that you think is too small or that's just not, you know, going to give you that $750,000 million paycheck that you think that everybody wants overnight. You know, Mm -hmm. don't look over that small 50K. Don't look over that small 10K because over time those add up, that experience will get you to that million for sure. Yeah. And them fixing flips, you might only get five, 10K, but if you keep consistent and if you keep doing what you're doing, then you're going to come across properties where you get them on a really big deal and and you can just renovate a few thousand into it and raise the property value a lot more. The more you do this, you know, the better you're going to get at it. You get five, six properties down the line. You're going to have contractors you could call on the spot. They're going to give you some decent prices. You know what I'm saying? Materials mm-hmm. are going to be easier to find because you already know what you're looking for. The process is going to be a lot smoother. It's going to be a lot cheaper than the first, third time you mm-hmm. did it. The first time you do anything in real estate, it's going to be the hardest time because oh, you man. don't have those connections. You don't have that network of people to help. You don't know where to go to find this, but once you start getting in that game and building the resources, building the connections, then that makes this whole game a lot more easier. It's a snowball, you guys. Once you put your your foot in the door, you're going to get your whole body dragged in not too soon after. It's (laughs) it's, it's like falling down a mountain, man. It's it's all downhill from there. As soon as you get in, man, it really is. You learn how to take care of one property, you're going to learn how to take care of a hundred. It's just about being consistent and just learning, being a student of the game, learning from mentors, learning from YouTube, learning from the internet, finding contracts on the internet, doing a lot of reading, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That book right there is going to introduce you to the real estate game. It's a book that everyone needs to read. Filling your brain with knowledge and getting in the game is the best way to help you in real estate. 
100% agree with him there. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a book I 120% recommend everybody reads. The rat race is real. It is something you can get out of and it is not impossible. I'm telling you, it is possible for anybody to get out of the rat race. You know, Robert talks about that in his book. It's something big that you guys should focus on in your life. Another book that I think that you guys should definitely read and get into is I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. It's a really good book. And then uh, Think and Grow Rich by the same person. It's it, Those are two really good eye-opening books. They teach you a lot about stocks, real estate, index funds, things like that, just to get you guys started on something about, you know, in, in the real estate or in the financial world. I you appreciate know? you for sharing your knowledge onto this episode. Thank you all for watching. If you made it this far, you got a motivated mind and you want to make it somewhere. So thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch our next episode on building and utilizing credit. We're out.